Minnow Middle got you down. Crush your sugar cravings with delicious all-natural Bossa Bars for menopause. Created to help women manage weight loss and energy during the pause. Try them at BossaBars.com and save 10% with code HOTCOOL10. Welcome to Hot Flashes and Cool Topics podcast, voice of midlife women and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cool Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Bridget. And I'm Colleen. And today we are talking to Stephen Perrine. He is the author of the book, Whole Body Reset. Stephen Perrine is the executive editor for AARP, the magazine, and the AARP Bulletin. He oversees health and wellness coverage, reaching more than 38 million readers. And I am one of those readers. I, that would be I how much I love. <laughs> it's so funny when we started getting the AARP magazine and bulletin. I am like all over it because it really does have such great advice in every aspect. But back to this whole body <laughs> reset. Yeah, I went on a tangent there, but it, it just got me excited. You know, I've really put some of these things that he said into practice and it really is helping. It's amazing how I don't feel the hunger or the slumps or the, the tiredness that I felt before I tried some of the things he said. The whole 25 grams of protein at a minimum for all of your meals. Right. I thought that is fantastic. That I was, really the, think, that was yeah. the hook that really, why I kind of got interested in the book because he talks about protein timing. And so many of us get all of our protein or most, not all, but most of our protein at dinner time. But as we get older, we need to kind of space it out and time it properly. So like you were saying, you need to get a, he calls it a protein punch in the morning and get like 25 grams of protein in the morning. Obviously it depends on your size and your weight and all that stuff. He also talks about the research he did for this book was only research for people 50 and older. Because so many times food plans will talk about research that is from 25, 30, 35 year olds. And that doesn't apply to us. Our bone loss is happening faster. Muscle, he talks a lot about the loss of muscle and how you can counteract that with eating certain foods. I also really like the fact that He says, okay, walk into the grocery store. Here's what you need to look for. I'm one of those, tell me what to do and I'll do it, people. So if you take your, you know, you look at the label and if the protein plus the fiber equals more than the additional sugar, it's a win. Then you can get that product. But if that additional sugar number is higher than the protein plus fiber, then you don't want to get that. And really that for me was just like, I can do that, you know, plus I can do that. Yeah. right. And he talks about like what, 50 different restaurants around the country that you can go to. And just bringing an apple or a piece of fruit that's easy to carry along with you so that you get that, that extra fiber uh, that is in there, that, that is fantastic. I, I, I love the whole little fiber plus protein thing because it was, I went to my pantry and I started doing that and I was like, there's a lot of food in here that I'm okay eating. And Good. some of it was surprising. And you're going to learn a lot because he is a, he's been a health journalist for years and he really does his research on ways to, well, about exercise, strength training. And, you know, if you lose muscle too quickly, 
then you're going to gain more fat. And that's why sometimes when we eat the same and we exercise the same, it's not working for us anymore. Before we get to the interview, we just want to remind you of a couple of things. Number one, if you want to watch this video, you can on vitalc.com. They're our partner in the videos for our episodes. That's V-I-T-A-L-C-Y.com. So you could check that out. And also this week that this episode's going up is Mindy Cohn's birthday. You guys will remember her from the facts of life, but we also had a great episode. Actually, we did a dual episode with her back in September 30th and October of 2020. So that would have been season two. And I think she was our very Mm -hmm. first guest of season two. She was. And we just want to remind you, we have so many great episodes and and we kind of just want to take a second in the beginning of of these new episodes, just remind you of some great ones we've had in the past. We have a great conversation with her. We talk about her career. We talk about the breast cancer diagnosis, what she's been doing now, you know, aging, midlife, you name it. We talked about it. And she's just one of our favorite people. So if you want to check that out. Yeah, she's the very first and second episode of season two. So with that being said, we are going to let Stephen take over. Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Full Topics. Today, we are going to have a really interesting conversation about the whole body reset with Stephen Perrine. He is the author of the book, and he is also the executive director for AARP's magazine and bulletin. Welcome, Stephen. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. The whole body reset, and I'm I'm lifting it up for those on the video. It's I thought it was really interesting because you kind of go against a lot of the popular, we don't even like to use the term diet on this podcast, but popular diets like intermittent fasting and Whole30, and it's really resetting your body. And there are so many good examples of foods and shopping. What made you decide to write this book? Well, you know... um about uh, six years ago, a few important things happened in my life. One was that I turned 50. And shortly after that, I joined AARP. And with the, after turning 50, I noticed changes in my own body that were uh, really surprising to me. Um, you know, I was eating the same and I was exercising the same as I always have. And I've been a nutrition and fitness guy for a long time. But I was not getting the same results. Um, my body was changing. I've always been a big fan of going, uh, following my gut, but not literally following my gut, which is what was happening now. Yes. You know, it really surprised me, and I was curious as to what was happening. At the same time, uh, Myrna Blythe, our editorial director, s- approached me and said, with your history of working with um, nutrition programs and as a health journalist, do you think you could do a diet program for people at AARP? And she repeated sort of the same words to me that I had been thinking to myself. I'm eating the same. I'm exercising the same. I'm still gaining weight. What is going on? And so I began to do some research into this, and I was shocked at what I didn't know. And this is, I'm, I'm, I'm in a health and nutrition uh, dense career environment. And yet when it comes to the nutritional needs of people at midlife and beyond, I was really in the dark, and I was stunned by it. And, and so the first thing I thought is, this is really an injustice because there's so much information out there for how people at midlife and beyond should eat, and it's not getting out. 
And there are a lot of reasons for that. We can talk about it um, during the course of this podcast. But that's what inspired, inspired the whole body reset. The idea was to take the existing science that is specifically created or specifically researched on people 50, uh, you know, in midlife and beyond. We're talking people 50, 60, 70, and um, how they should eat differently in order to go back to the bodies that we used to have when we were in our 30s. What I found so interesting, and I was really pleased to hear this in your book or read about in your book, was the amount of protein we need, the amount of fiber that we need, Mm -hmm. um, that dairy was okay. All these, it, it just, it really was comforting or I don't know, it wasn't as scary to take on this because when I, I'm like a lifelong yo-yo dieter or everything, and I'm finally sick of it. I'm, I'm just tired of it. Um, so can you share a little bit about the protein information and things like that, that you found so surprising? Sure. So uh, if you are at home or doing anything other than maybe driving your car right now, uh, you can make a muscle, go ahead and bend your arm, make a muscle, Flex that bicep right there. That bicep in your arm represents about 5% of the, musc- of the muscle mass in your body. That's how much you lose every decade after age 30. And that is because of a few different factors. Some of them are hormonal, some we can't alter. But one of the big factors is something called anabolic resistance. Essentially, Once we pass our 30s and get into our 40s, our bodies have difficulty taking the protein that we eat and turning it into muscle. So your body is constantly building up and breaking down muscle all the time, 24 hours a day. But as we get older, we're breaking it down faster than we can build it up. And one of the main reasons is because we are resistant to the, we've developed a resistance to the protein that we're eating. So if you can imagine like there's a big make muscle button in your body. My daughter, who's 14, she has a glass of milk with eight grams of protein. She drinks it down. Her body immediately presses that button and starts making muscle. If I drink that glass of milk with eight grams of protein, my body goes, nah, I don't know what you want me to do with this. Sorry. I haven't hit that button hard enough to start the process. So research has shown that when we increase our protein intake to 25 to 30 grams at a time, three times a day, we punch that button and we start the process of muscle maintenance and overcome the anabolic resistance. That means that we don't lose muscle And I'll I'll give you a few reasons why losing muscle is so linked to weight gain as we age. But because we're we're, we're, we're ingesting that protein, we're we're making muscle, maintaining muscle, we're not losing it. Now, I don't want to give the idea that this is a high-protein diet. It is not, okay? Uh, Under the whole body reset, you would eat approximately the same amount of protein as the average person eats every day. The difference is that the average person eats about 60% of their protein at dinner time, because you're having the chicken breast or the cheeseburger or the piece of fish or what have you, usually having a big meal. 
Um, and so we're only eating about 10 grams of protein at breakfast because maybe there's, maybe you have like an egg McMuffin or you're having a, a Danish with some coffee and a glass of milk or you have some oatmeal. Um, you have a, a high fiber cereal with fruit. You know, it doesn't necessarily need to be an unhealthy breakfast. It could be, an, it could be a very healthy breakfast. What we've been told is a healthy breakfast. But if you don't start your day with 25 to 30 grams of protein, you're probably going to be in muscle loss mode all day long. And over the years, that means more and more muscle loss, and that means more and more fat gain. And that's the reason why you may be eating the same and exercising the same and still gaining weight. We have spoken to some people who are strong believers in intermittent fasting, and they don't believe that breakfast is important. And you specifically say in this book that breakfast is very important, which I tend to agree with because I think it sets the tone for the day. But can you talk about why it is so important to start the day with a, a good breakfast that punches that 25 to 30 grams of protein? Right. Well, research and this, we're talking about research that is done on people at midlife and beyond. Okay. So I want to, I want to really, really emphasize this. When it comes to intermittent fasting, there is a lot of proof that it works really well if you are yeast. It also works well if you are a fruit fly. It probably works pretty well if you're a mouse. And there is some research that indicates that if you're a college student, it may work well. But there is no research on people our age. And this is really important because people our age are wildly different than we were 30 or 40 years ago. Our bodies change dramatically. So in doing the whole body re reset, I focused only on research that was conducted on human beings who were at midlife and beyond. And when you do that, you get wildly different results because the reason your body looks different than it did when you were in college is because your body is different than it was when you were in college. And so you have to eat for your body now and not for your body back then. So when it comes to intermittent fasting, uh, there was a very recent study, actually just came out a few days ago, that showed that when you look at people who restrict calories by eating only 1,400, 1,500 calories a day versus people who eat in intermittent fasting way but have the same number of calories, the results are exactly the same. There's nothing special about intermittent fasting. It's just a different way of restricting calories. And the problem is that when you restrict calories, you lose weight. But much of the weight you lose, especially initially, is either water weight or muscle. In fact, the number one predictor of future weight gain is being on a diet right now. And so intermittent fasting, it, it, it will work in the short term, absolutely. But in the long term, it sets you up for future weight gain. There is no magic principle that shows that you are entering into some sort of ketogenic autographic magic moment. Can you, you were just talking about ketogenics. Can you explain ketones? Because there are a lot of people who are just obsessed with ketones and, and what you should put in your body and what you shouldn't with that. 
when we go to we, all of us um, enter ketogenesis every single day, and it happens when we're asleep. And this is when the body switches, used up all of the um, excess um, sugar that's that's stored as glycogen in the body, and begins burning um, fat. And so this is this process is called ketogenesis. There's a belief that um, for people who fast or who only eat fat, that um, that's going to inspire the body to only burn fat. And there is definitely science that shows that people who are diabetic and under a doctor's care get benefit from this. People who are overweight and under a doctor's care and eating a very strict diet can benefit from this. But doing it on your own is not really um, something that can be um, successful in the long term. In the end, it just winds up being yet another way of restricting calories. Because if you can't eat carbs and you have to have limited protein and you can only eat fat and there's not that much you can eat other than like avocado and olives, you're going to wind up losing weight because you're restricting calories. But eventually, you're going to give up on that. And what's going to happen is you've lost muscle because you've not been eating protein. And you're going to get rebound weekend. The muscle, the muscle building is so important in this age. I mean, that's you know something that's very evident throughout your book, and it is so important just to help prevent break it bone breakage. That's a whole another thing too that you talk about is um, your bone health and the whole protein and fiber. Uh, combination there was so important as well. Um, that's something that, that your book includes. It's also when you're shopping, when you're going shopping and to look at the protein and the fiber content versus the sugar content. Can you share some of that with us? Sure. So one of the reasons that, that fiber is an important part of the whole body reset is that um, it helps to battle against inflammation. If you imagine inflammation as being um, Inflammation is sort of like it's muscle's enemy and it's fat's friend. So the more inflammation in your body, the more likely you are to lose muscle, the more likely you are to gain fat. Those things work in work the other way as well. The more fat you have, the higher your inflammation, the lower your muscle. But the more muscle you add, the lower your inflammation, the less fat you gain. So it's really, it's like its own ecosystem. And um, the reason that uh, fiber is so important and protein is so important as a combination is that they do help to fight against inflammation. Um, one of the things that I talk about in the book is how we can go to the supermarket and look at a product and deduce how healthy it is for us based on the nutrition label. Now, when you go into a market, you're going to see all sorts of um, really interesting language. You're going to see artisanal and natural and cage-free and free-range and diet and light, L-I-G-H-T, and light, L-I-T-E. The fact is that all the, all the words on the front of the label are mostly meaningless, with some exceptions. 
But if you want to know if a product is really good for you, you can look at the back label and you can look at the amount of protein, the amount of uh, fiber, and the amount of added sugar. And it's a little formula that I developed where basically add the protein and the fiber grams. Now add the added sugar. Now look at the added sugar grams. If your protein and fiber total are higher than your added sugar, you probably got a healthy food. If the added sugar is higher than protein and fiber combined, it's probably not healthy. And if you want to see how this works, go take a look at any kind of fruit on the bottom yogurt and see how much added sugar is there versus protein. And then if you really want to blow your mind, go look at a, um, a really good dark chocolate bar, um, like an 85% green and black cacao bar, for example. You'll see that the protein and fiber numbers are really high and the sugar number is actually lower. So in that case, if I was on a desert island, I would pick the chocolate bar over the yogurt. I love in the book how simple you make it. You, you basically say you're going to walk into the grocery store and here are some things you're going to look at. And then you actually show the um, kind of the information from an example and say, okay, look here. And look. for people like me who need it simple, if I can do that math and say, okay, my protein and my fiber equals higher than my added sugar. That's so helpful when you're grocery shopping. I don't have time to sit there and read each label to decide. But I also know that when you go to the grocery store, that the perimeter is healthier than the center. And you talk about that in the book. Basically, the, the center of your grocery store is kind of a lot of unnecessary groceries, even though we all buy them. But if you, right. can, you can look at it and say, okay, but... It's just, it, you make it very simple. You even go as far as to say, okay, you're going to go out to restaurants, which in our demographic of 40, 50, 60, 70, we do like to go to restaurants. Here are some options. How did you come up with those? First part of my background is that I was part of the team that developed Eat This, Not That for Men's Health Magazine back in the day. So the idea of picking your way through, um, you know, dinners that you order out of a clown's mouth is not foreign to me. And so when we started to put together the whole body reset, I really wanted to make this real food for real people in the real world. And not like a lot of programs out there where if a pizza comes to your door, you have to dive under the table and hide, right? So we know that we're going to wind up eating out a lot. Either it's because you have kids who will eat nothing but McNuggets every single meal or because you want to go to a really nice French bistro, you know, on Friday evenings. So what we did is we took the 50 most popular restaurants in America, the big chains. We went through their menus. And we showed how you could order um, pretty much anywhere from... Uh, Cracker Barrel to Denny's to McDonald's to Wendy's to Olive Garden. There's always food there that you can eat if you're just aware of, I need 25 to 30 grams of protein. I need at least five, at least five grams of fiber. Sometimes 
um, you'll need to hack it a little bit. So a lot of fast food restaurants, they'll have the fiber, they'll have the protein, but they're a little lacking in fiber. So I say, look, if you're going to have dinner at McDonald's or Wendy's and you want to get a cheeseburger, bring an apple, bring an orange, bring some trail mix, some nuts. It's just going to help to add fiber into that meal and create something that's going to be a lot healthier. You also talk a lot about the difference in like the dairy products too that you have. Can you share a little bit about dairy products? Well, again, you know, we keep being told all of these things we can't eat. There's no food you can name that hasn't had some diet plan come out telling you you can't eat it, right? Maybe lettuce, but that's about it. So you can't eat, so if you're, you can't eat dairy and you can't eat meat and you can't eat fish and you can't eat uh, nuts and you can't eat, you name it, right? So that's, each of us has our individual needs and issues, but I wanted the most inclusive possible program. One that you could eat if you just love meat and dairy, one that you could eat if you were vegan, one that you could eat if you were on if you were a caveman and you were absolutely going to go paleo, although that's a little hard. Uh, one that you could eat if you wanted to make sure you had the DASH diet or the MIND diet or the Mediterranean diet. Any one of these programs can be followed as long as you're going, abiding by the principles in the book where you're making sure you're getting the protein, getting the fiber, getting it regularly. And dairy for older people is one of the very best sources of protein because it's got a lot of things in it that are hard for us. Number one, it's got the protein that we've already talked about. In particular, it's very rich in a certain amino acid called lysine which, um, I'm sorry, leucine. And leucine is not found in that many foods. It's the amino acid that's missing in a lot of plant foods. And it is kind of the critical, um, critical key for turning over the engine for our muscle-making process. So dairy is a great source for that. Second, it's high in calcium. As you know, as we get older, we have difficulty absorbing calcium. It puts us at risk for osteoporosis and other issues. It's high in potassium. Um, and so all of these things are a reason why we need to look at dairy uh, seriously and not be afraid of it. People who are lactose intolerant, there are solutions, right? There's, there's lactose-removed um, milks, and there are a lot of dairy products like yogurts and fermented dairy that's very low in lactose. Um, I also recommend whey protein, which is essentially a protein delivery system that comes in chocolate. And if you get whey protein isolated, it's had all of the lactose removed. So it's very simple to digest, even if you've had dairy issues in the past. <laughs> Studies do show that people who eat the most dairy live the longest. I was curious when you were talking, you said you did a lot of research on um, health for 50 plus. Was it hard to find research-based you know, evidence for the 50 plus man and woman? That's what blows my mind. It was not hard to find at all. Okay. A lot of the information that I'm presenting in this book was first established in the late 2000s. 
I mean, we're talking about research that's been really well accepted by the scientific community for 10 to 15 years. But it's not being presented to the general public because our media is so focused on people of different demographics, on younger people. And the thing that blew my mind more than anything else is that when you look at the USDA's dietary guidelines, okay, there are dietary guidelines for people ages one to three, four to nine, 10 to 14, 15 to 19, then through your 20s, your 30s, then 31 to 50, and then from age 51 on, there's just one set of guidelines. Like according to the US government, our bodies don't change at all after age 50. And that just shows how little attention we're giving to people who are 50 and older. Yeah, you mentioned that in your book, how the whole, was it 1980, the guidelines start, and then it was the pyramid, and how how far, I know you mentioned how far behind they are and really catching up. Was it 20 years? Did I, I don't, I don't know if I heard that correctly. Well, the, the most recent guidelines came out last year. Oh, last year, okay. And they're still not really, um, they, it's still just 51 and older. So yeah. apparently uh, a, a woman in her 50s and her mom in her late 80s have exactly the same nutritional needs. Their bodies are exactly the same. Nothing has changed. I'd like to say we're surprised, but honestly, it's just amazing to me. They don't know what to do with us. Once you hit 50 plus, they we're living longer and they honestly don't know what to do with us. So we kind of have to define that. In the book, you also talk about exercise. And it was interesting that you said the more you exercise, your body lower, uh, uses less calories for other functions. Can you talk a little bit about Because most people think I've got to do 60 minutes a day. Otherwise, I'm not going to lose weight. But you actually kind of said that that's not necessarily true. Right. So this is um, one of the more controversial findings um, that we report on in the book. But essentially, what we're learning is that you don't really burn calories through exercise. So when you get on the treadmill and you run for 20 minutes and that little red LED says you've burned 300 calories, and then you go and you have... A, a cup of yogurt and like, boom, 300 calories back. It's very, very frustrating, right? But that LED, that, that readout, that idea that you're burning those calories during exercises is a little bit misleading because if you get up today and you sit at your desk and you write all day and then you go and you sit in front of the TV and you watch TV all night and then you go to sleep, the average American woman is probably going to burn about, let's say, roughly 2,000 calories. If you get up the next day and you go for a brisk walk or even a run in the morning, and then you take a yoga class after work, and then after dinner you take a long walk, you're probably going to burn about 2,000 calories. That extra exercise you put in did not burn additional calories. Because your body doesn't want to burn extra calories because that would raise your nutrition needs. If you raise your nutrition needs, your risk of starvation goes up. 
So what it does instead of burning extra calories is it finds places to save calories on other stuff. And one of the things that it, one of the extras that our bodies does is it creates inflammation. So as you exercise, your body's like, I got to find some calorie savings somewhere. I don't need to create inflammation. That's an activity I don't, I don't need to bother with. So you lower inflammation. That in turn protects your muscles and reduces your fat gain. So in a weird way, yes, it burns calories, but not in the way that we think. But you also emphasize it is important because it's fighting inflammation. Which because it's fighting inflammation, and it is linked to linked to weight loss, just not in the way that we think. And the other thing that we talk about regarding exercise in this book is that people think that doing that aerobic exercise, that run, that swim, that bike every day is what they need to do. And if you go to your cardiologist and you say, and he says, what do you do for exercise? And go, well, I, I, I walk every day and on weekends I take long bikes and hikes. It'll be like fantastic. But what we don't talk about, what medical professionals don't talk about is the importance of protecting our muscles. So those aerobic exercises, again, it's great for a lot of different things. Lowers blood pressure, reduces stress, reduces risk of a number of diseases, fights inflammation, helps keep your weight down by doing all of those things, but it doesn't protect your muscles. And so it doesn't reduce your risk of frailty, and it doesn't reduce your risk of, of sarcopenia, which is age-related muscle loss, and all of the negative health consequences that come from that. So you need to add in resistance training, some kind of muscle strengthening exercise a couple times a week. That could be weightlifting, it could be calisthenics, it could be yoga, it could be Pilates. And uh, we, in fact, in the Whole Body Reset, we have a whole set of workouts that you can do, beginner, intermediate, and advanced, that you can do without any weight, without any equipment, without any sweaty people near you. But it's really important that you do it. One thing, one of the most shocking pieces of research we found was that when people combine resistance exercise, people in their 60s combine resistance exercise with protein timing, which is the principle of eating protein in the way I'm talking about, their bodies respond to that exercise as if they were in their 20s. So our bodies respond as if we were 30 to 40 years younger. And I will tell you, I have found this myself in following this eating program. This weekend, I, I um, bench-pressed an amount of weight that I have been trying to bench since my late 30s that I thought I would never get to. And I'm lifting as much weight as I did when I started back then. And it's this, uh, this reversal that's happened over the past year and a half due to protein timing, during the making sure that I'm getting those three meals a day with that amount of protein. And it's, again, it's 30, about 30 grams a meal for men, about 25 grams a meal for women. More if you're a linebacker, less if you're a ballerina. Those are rough numbers, but it's the importance of getting that in all three meals that really makes a difference. And also you were saying one to two snacks, a day in it, and that's typical. Um, so can you kind of share what a typical day might be using this protein timing? 
a lot of people find dairy is the best and easiest way to get their protein in the morning. So that could be a cup of cottage cheese or some Greek yogurt um, or a protein shake. I like to make a smoothie with just a little bit of yogurt, milk, protein powder, some um, hemp seeds are great. Or you might have a couple of eggs and some cheese and then some whole wheat toast great source of protein, by the way, whole, a slice of whole wheat toast can have up to five grams of protein and you're getting your fiber. I might put toast in with um, a little peanut butter and maybe put some, maybe have some jam, maybe have some berries on top and that'll really help get, the, get you to where you need to be. But again, you could eat breakfast at a drive-thru, you could eat at a diner, it's entirely possible to do it. Most of us, when we have a snack, we have um, something that has a little protein in it, like maybe a little cup of yogurt um, or some cheese, or else we have something that's got like, you know, that's like a piece of fruit, like, or whole grain crackers, what have you. I'm asking you to combine that so that every snack you have has a little bit of fiber and a little bit of uh, protein in it. So maybe it's nuts. Maybe again, it's like, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Um, maybe it's, you know, fruit with some cheese lunchtime, just have a sensible lunch. Uh, a lot of people have salads at lunchtime, but they're not getting the protein that they need. That's not healthy. So if you want to have a salad for lunch or a soup, make sure it has some chicken, some steaks, some shrimp, um, some tofu, any sort of protein source in there. Then for dinner, honestly, the typical American dinner is pretty much right where you want to be. It was interesting, too, that you said if you had to kind of eyeball your meat, just make it like a deck of cards, the size of a deck of cards, which is, again, a great tip for people like me who just want a simple answer. I will do things if you give me the direction, and I think a lot of people are like that. We kind of walk in the grocery store, and we don't know where to go. You know, we want to eat healthy, but do I go for this or do I go? So, again, I really like in the book that it's not just – you're not just lecturing to us in the book. You are giving examples of restaurants. You're giving an example of going to the grocery store. You, ha- I mean, there's a large portion of the book that are recipes, which is wonderful as well. And you talk about the simple health secrets. You have like six simple health secrets. And one of them you mentioned is don't drink your calories, which is a little sad for some of us. Can you talk about that? Sure. So don't drink calories or chemicals. Right. Um, you know, when I was... When I was, um, when my my older kids were younger, uh, they would go, Daddy, can we get a drink? We stop at a a gas station or 7-Eleven or something. I'd go, you can have anything in this store you want to drink, as long as it doesn't have high fructose corn syrup in it. They go, okay, great. And they'd go and they'd run around, they look at all the labels. (laughs) They couldn't find anything because um, all of our drinks are loaded with sugar. And think back to the idea of protein, fiber, sugar, right? So if you look at a, 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 a bottle of iced tea, it has no protein, it has no fiber, but it has plenty of sugar. So it's a really bad idea for you. The other thing to think about when it comes to drinking calories, our bodies don't register calories that we drink. So you could drink 300 calories from a glass of bottled iced tea, And your body doesn't have any idea that you just ingested 300 calories. It's still just as hungry as it was if you didn't have that. And then the third issue is that 
the sugar in those, in those drinks is absorbed more quickly in our bodies, causing our blood uh, sugar to spike. And spiking blood sugar leads to future tiredness. It puts you at risk for insulin resistance over time. There are a lot of reasons why drinking 300 calories of sugar is much worse for you than eating 300 calories worth of sugar. So don't drink your calories or chemicals because studies show that diet drinks, artificially sweetened drinks, are linked to weight gain. We don't fully understand why, but it may have to do uh, with the way our, our bodies respond to the sugary taste. They pump out hormones ready to start taking that blood sugar and turning it into fat. And when they don't, when it doesn't get the nutrients it expects, it, it, it may follow up our system in some way. But there's, there's definitely a link between drinking calories and chemicals and weight gain. What about all yeah. natural sugar substitutes? Like not necessarily the sweet and lows and things like that, but the more natural ones like monk fruit and things like that, are they also bad for you? Well, sugar is sugar. Um, but obviously there are degrees. Uh, I would say, you know, just don't drink, drink sugar. Even things like um, you can get a smoothie, a, a health smoothie at a commercial smoothie shop that may have 50 grams of sugar, which is about three times what the American Heart Association says you should eat in an entire day. Yeah, so even, even things like, like all natural juices, orange juice, I think orange juice is great, but have it in a, in a small cup, not a big glass. Yeah, that's, that's another thing you touch on is the importance of the fruit is to eat the whole fruit rather than having the fruit juice and the importance of berries too. Um, and you also talk a, a lot about the variety and the colorful fruits and vegetables and which it's so funny. I love the fruits, the vegetables. I mean, I'm getting better about it. I know it's important. I know it is, but the, the fruit one, you know, it's so easy. It's right there. You wash it, you eat it. And I don't know, I need to eat more vegetables. And there's ways that you can make vegetables taste better. But you also talk about salt and how to, you know, take it easy on the salt and everything. Um, but, you know, other spices and things involved that can maybe zhuzh up your vegetables. Is there any advice there? Anything you can do to make, a make yourself love a vegetable is great. I mean, you can get an air fryer, you can roast them. What I do a lot is I roast a whole bunch of vegetables. Um, I, I just kind of flash boil them, uh, let them dry, put them on the, on a, a baking sheet, drizzle them with olive oil, a little salt and pepper, put them in at a high heat so that they get nice and caramelized. And then everybody will eat the vegetable that they like. So my daughter will only eat the broccoli and my wife may only eat the sweet potatoes and I may eat primarily the cauliflower, but having a lot, a wide, large variety there allows people to kind of pick and choose what they want. And then having fruit out and available all the time, it's really important. Um, 
imagine every time you see a fruit or a vegetable, imagine that this is a weapon. Okay. There's a fight inside your body between fat and muscle. It's an ongoing fight. Who's going to win? Every time you take a fruit or a vegetable into your body, you're helping muscle win. Studies show that the people who eat the most produce over time have the most muscle as they age. Well, on that note, <laughs> thank you so much for not only writing this book, The Whole Body Reset, which you guys can find really anywhere, right? Amazon or... We can finally find it everywhere. We, we were very successful and had a lot of trouble keeping the book in the stores. That's a good um, problem. So we, it, was a, <laughs> it was a good problem, but it was a problem. But we finally have just hit stores. So it's finally available now. If you've been looking for it and haven't been able to find it, you'll be able to find it uh, online or at your favorite bookseller You know, starting this week for sure. Thank you so much, Stephen Prine, for coming on and talking to us about our bodies post 50, we can be healthy. We can feel good about ourselves. It's not about numbers, what size it is. It's about feeling good and the importance of protein. And if you get nothing else from this show, just know when you go to the grocery store, look at the fiber content, look at the protein content. And does that number equal more than the added sugar? And if it does, you're good to go throw it in your basket because you can eat that. We want to thank him for sharing all this great information. Again, the book is The Whole Body Reset, and you can find it wherever you find books. And make sure to follow us on all forms of social media. If you haven't followed, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, it's easy to do. Just go on Apple and press that little subscribe button or wherever you may listen to us because you can find us anywhere. Check out our website, hotflasheskooltopics.com. We have a lot of blogs on there. We have our LTK shop, which is, you know, Bridget is just posting daily on there with some great stuff from summer items. We're going to be doing a, yes, we're doing a bathing suit post on there we soon. Are. So, Four-year-old yeah. women and bathing suits, but we feel good. So, yes. Yeah. And we are not, and we are not size two. We'll just throw that out no. there in the universe. Mm-hmm. And who wants to be, because then you're not enjoying the wine and the desserts that we have so richly deserved. So we hope you guys have a great week. We will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.